friends, welcome back to Anti Visions. Uh, today, I'm going to do my probably last podcast on um, COVID. I know recently I did one or maybe two episodes, kind of refired the season, started talking a little bit about COVID, the vaccines, and and you know, all it's just it's a incredible rabbit hole, very important in our society, but very frustrating as well, and so. I'm going to do one more post here, just maybe to highlight a little bit of the dissonance and reasons why, although I think it's an extremely important topic, I have come to realize I need to really dig in and pursue the things that, um, that I think are really behind it and underlying it. Because the realization over the holidays, being around family, being around other people, seeing all the crazy uh, dissonant messages coming out just over Christmas break from the CDC and from Fauci and the FDA, just all, all these different voices about masks and uh, no masks and uh, Omicron and it's dangerous. The hospitals are full, but they're not full. And, you know, kids are filling the hospitals, but it's actually not because of COVID. And yet they actually turned out to have COVID. And just, I just realized even if you take all of the facts and there are a lot of great facts and I'm not saying they're facts that absolutely prove the point, but there are great facts on both sides. Uh, probably my biggest concern is really about vaccination mandates and the vaccinations themselves. And my, my deepest concern isn't proving you know, whether the vaccines are actually efficacious or not, which I think there's a lot that calls them into question. I think the real concern for me is just basic liberty and whether it's okay to actually mandate vaccines in the first place. But of course, there is a lot of debate and we live in a world that's so polarized that when one side steps out of line and doesn't toe the line, then they're immediately demonized and attacked. It has nothing to do with the merit of their argument or even their, uh, their authority or education or experience to speak into that area. We have many doctors and high level officials, but especially in the medical field that have spoken out and then they've just immediately been demonized. Um, and, and I don't want to spend, it's a, it's a rabbit trail. I don't want to spend all my time going through that right now, but I do just want to highlight some of the things that, um, I think really speak into this issue and then explain where I want to go from there. Because I think that if we, you know, like say I were to get together all the facts that I have that I know to challenge a friend of mine who friends of mine, family, whoever uh, doesn't agree and they're all pro vaccine and think everybody needs to get vaccinated and, and, you know, forget your, forget your freedom. You're being selfish. You're not caring about the rest of society and, whatever argument they might have, it doesn't matter. There's no way I, probably that I could ever convince them, no matter how many facts I gather, because they have their set of facts. And essentially, we're, at, we're in a reality war. It's not even a culture war. It's, it's not a battle over facts. It's a, it's a basic inability to even agree on what's real. The news uh, you know, is corrupt in many ways and reports all kinds of lies, but then reports dissonant uh, messages and actually agrees with the truth, but then twists the truth. And, um, and so it just makes it very difficult. So I'm going to take a look here and just go through just a few. I mean, I've got so many articles and, um, 
and I'm going to try to avoid going down the, the, the rabbit trail on any one of them and just point out some of the process of my thinking, because I think that, like I said, if you bring all the facts together, they're very important, and I'm glad people are arguing them, and I think they're important. I think there's a moment in time for them, but I don't think we're at a point where it's going to change anybody's mind. However, it's important to speak out and, and not be silent, especially if you're conservative or well, you might be conservative and, and actually totally disagree with me at this point, but to speak out, especially about vaccines and things that you see as breaches of liberty. Um, on the same note, I think that we're more likely to move forward when we can see the bigger picture and actually kind of step back and, um, and see through what's actually happening and what are some of the broader uh, and more underpinning things at stake and things that are actually happening that are driving the current narratives. And I think there's more likelihood because, uh, you know, for us to come into agreement, because honestly, we're so divided and we're arguing and fighting against each other. And all of us have so much to lose um, on both sides. And, and the reality is whether you think you're right or you think you're wrong, there are forces at work that, that in the end will have their way and, and all of us are going to get screwed. And so it's really important to realize that it's actually beneficial to those that are profiting and benefiting off of COVID the most. It's beneficial for, the, for them to have us uh, infighting, turning against one another, demonizing one another so that they can continue to operate um, completely insulated, completely without any accountability. So I'm going to take a look here. I've got a little bit of a slide deck. I know it was December 29th. I woke up and I read this from Robert Malone, doctor who uh, is inventor of mRNA vaccines. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, I'm sure if you look him up, you're going to find 5 billion fact checks, especially if you do Google, uh, because you know they, they curate what's on there. And, and, and their number one goal is to demonize this guy and show how he's not the inventor of mRNA. And, but if you look actually at, at um, his, his resume and where he was educated, what he's done, um, he is among the top. He, he's not just a doctor among doctors. This guy has a massive amount of experience, has worked in, in the field. You know, uh, I think he worked at, uh, on Ebola, AIDS, He's, uh, he's an immunologist and some otherologist, I don't even know, um, but he also helped invent MR, the mRNA vaccine. Now, of course, he's been demonized and attacked, and so they say he didn't invent it, you know, in the same way that because the Wright brothers did not invent the F-16, um, therefore, they didn't invent the plane, right? And uh, it, it, it's, it's sort of a similar idea is, well, because other people have taken and developed it, um, Further, that's why you can prove he's not the, the inventor. Even if you remove the argument about him being the inventor of the mRNA uh, technology, and it's understand it's important to understand the difference between the technology. Um, he's not an anti-vaxxer. He believes in vaccinations. Been part of these movements his whole life, uh, or his whole medical life. That is, you know, I think he did his postdoctoral work at, at a little place called Harvard. Um, you know, when he was in. Uh, you see, I can't remember where in California he's worked with when he eventually developed the technology, or at least the early uh, seeds of this technology. He was working among tons of Nobel laureates. So this guy, um, 
you know, people might not like him, but we have to look at the merit of, of his, uh, of his knowledge. And, you know, and again, the whole argument about in the invention itself is ridiculous. I mean, it's like, um, you know, one day everybody might be using a Tesla cell phone and I guarantee you most people will look and say, who cares about Apple? You know, one day Apple will be a bygone. It'll be like a, like a, a dinosaur fossil, right? We'll have forgotten long about Apple, but Apple is the one who invented the smartphone. Um, but later, you know, we'll have the, the hoity-toity ones that are going to tell us, no, you know, it's so ancient and so old. There were people that came along and developed it way, way better and have taken it way further. And therefore, you know, Samsung or, or you know, like I said, maybe it's Tesla who takes it to a whole nother level that's so wonderful that we could just forget their, their invention. Um, you know, another one is, is Dr. McAuliffe. If you don't know about these guys, they were also recently on Joe Rogan. Um, Joe Rogan is, you know, the king of podcasting, I would say. And, and when Dr. McAuliffe was on there earlier in December, he uh, is another doctor that, that I highly recommend listening to. Um, I think the viewership for Joe Rogan was the highest he had ever had. It was like already, I think as of, as of December 29th, it was like over 40 million views. And I'm sure it's probably doubled by now. I, I don't know. But this, <clears throat> the same thing happened with Dr. Malone. He went on in, um, I want to say, maybe it was right before, maybe it was January, December 30th or something, something like that. And already it just had an incredible viewership. And of course, the mainstream media gets out there to just, just you know, try to demolish Joe Rogan, which he has a, a way bigger viewership than CNN. Excuse me. Um, or any of the mainstream media, they, they hate it and they're jealous of him. And he has a great show. Uh, so I highly recommend going and listening to them just to, whatever you do, if you fact check these guys, you hear what I'm saying, <clears throat> and you look at the fact check, you're just going to get the tip typical ad hominem argument, which is they attack the man, but not the facts. That's a logical fallacy that's very common today. It has nothing to do, same thing with Dr. Ted McAuliffe. He is the most published cardiologist in his field. I, I think he's one of the most published ever. And he, you know, runs several journals. He's got, I mean, to get a peer-reviewed uh, research out there is difficult, but to have, I, I want to say he's well over 600 peer-reviewed uh, publications. And yet he also has bedside manner and actually sees people. And I, he's really impressive, but you know, in, in my corner of the world, he is um, connected with Texas A&M and, and the A&M system I, to an extent. I don't know if he is anymore, but I know he's up in Dallas. And so I know that here where I am, close to the university, they, uh, there are many who will say, oh, you know, Dr. Malone, or not Malone, Dr. McCullough, he's, he's, uh, he's got a messianic complex and, and they don't like him. But I haven't heard anybody actually engage his knowledge. Now, if you listen to him, he doesn't seem arrogant, but whatever. You know, if I had to have open heart surgery, and I'm not saying he's a heart surgeon, but he is a top cardiologist, um, I, I, and I had to pick between two people who are cardiologists, who are surgeons, and one of them is just a, a jerk, um, but he is like the top of his field. The other guy is a really nice guy. He's a Christian, and I'm a Christian, and, and he has very similar theological views, loves to worship, 
Um, he, but he's a mediocre cardiologist. I'm going to pick the jerk. You know why? Because I'm not getting the guy uh, because of his social standing or his social merit. I'm getting him because of his qualifications as a heart surgeon. And, and that's something we've lost sight of. And, and it's amazing to me in these scientific debates that we so easily allow the media to shut down top level scientists because we're told that science is a monolith and science is only, there, there are no dissenting opinions in science. Um, these guys are not claiming to have the absolute truth, but they are bringing viable arguments and they have the level of qualification to bring them. And there is a level of data and evidence that they're bringing as well, not saying they're absolutely right, but it is worthy of a debate. And the fact that there's an unwillingness to allow that debate and just a demonization and saying that's dangerous, this is dangerous, you guys are, are they say that these guys are, um, you know, responsible for killing millions of people. I know Dr. McAuliffe, he's actually being, his, his medical li license is in danger right now. And people say, oh, well, that's great. That's good. Well, you know, hey, you know, if you want to cut off the branch that you're sitting on, you celebrate the destruction of the very rights that will protect you one day that won't be there when you need them uh, because the tide will turn. Anyway, I'm getting on a bunny trail. I was going to take a look here. And it was December 29th. Dr. Malone posts this awesome article. Uh, uh, he had a bunch of great research. A lot of it had to do with the vaccine injuries in children. And it's an excellent article. He has lots of great research in there that he, he connects to, but he also, um, excuse me, called into question Pfizer quite a bit. Um, and I read it and I thought, man, they're, they're never, it, this is on Substack, but I knew he would have posted it to Twitter. And I thought they're never going to allow this on Twitter. They're going to censor this because they censor stuff all the time. Um, and then it wasn't very long and I found out, it was just a couple hours later even, um, that he was suspended permanently on Twitter. And, 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 it not, and not necessarily because of that prior post, but it has a lot to do with it. And uh, so, yeah, the, the thought police said, you've had too much to think, right? Um, yeah, it's just, it's just the madness. I'm not going to go into detail on it. I, I, and then he, right after this, it just so happened that he was already going on Joe Rogan's show. So that just caused it to really explode. I highly recommend listening. If you're going to look him up, don't just read what the fact checkers say. Find out and don't just read what Wikipedia says because Wikipedia is far left and they would never allow him to edit his own bio or anyone on his behalf. Um, you know, you need to go and find out who he really is, what he's really said. A great way is to listen to some of his interviews, but you can you can look it up yourself before you make the decision that this guy's just crazy. Because now we've got people from Yale, Harvard, uh, Johns Hopkins, all the major institutions that are just crazy and we can't listen to them, right? Um, but if they're not qualified, is a technocrat at Twitter or Facebook qualified? Are, is MSNBC and CNN, you know, Joe Reed, jo Joy Reed and, and uh, Jake Tapper, are they, they're the ones who are qualified? Um, last, last I heard, uh, a degree from Harvard or from Yale or from one of these schools means something. Um, so it's worth thinking about that. But also there's all this other kind of madness. And this has been going on for a while, but you've got things like this where you've got this 
this lady, Diane Francis, financial post here, making the argument, the unvaccinated need to pay for their own health care. You know, we come from a world where people were fighting so hard for universal health care. Okay. And people pay for their own health care as far as last I checked in, in the United States. So this is kind of a funny argument to say they need to pay for their own health care. I guess what you're saying is they shouldn't even be allowed to pay into where they work because, you know, I won't have health care if I lose my job tomorrow. It, it will be gone as soon as my unemployment runs out. So I am paying, um, even though my employer pays into it as well. But the idea that this is the country I live in, I, I don't even recognize it, that people are making serious arguments like this saying you shouldn't be able to pay for your own health care because, um, this should, like she says, these public health measures should not be confused with freedom of choice or rights. And she's just arguing that I think that I have rights or freedom of choice, but really I'm a danger to society and therefore I should not have access to health care unless I just pay for it myself. That's just madness. And this is only, you know, the tip of the iceberg. These things have been argued, not just in our country, in the UK and, and uh, as well. This is Rex Chapman, who's a you know famous NBA player. Uh, I, I guess he's retired now. I don't know, but said he says, "How about in his Twitter post for those who aren't watching this? How about we all agree that hospitals have the right to turn away unvaccinated COVID patients? They have freedom of choice too, right? I'm sure the unvaccinated would have would have no problem with that, and it would solve a lot of problems. Again, madness. This is December twenty first just recently. And uh, aside from the silly argument that these businesses, particularly hospitals, you know, doctors sign the Hippocratic Oath um, and hospitals have operated this way for a long time. People come in, they give care. They will not deny. Uh, as a matter of fact, like somebody drops, drops down of a heart attack in the mall. And if you are somebody who has medical credentials and you don't perform CPR, you don't take action, then you actually could be legally liable. So um, even in hospitals, even if people don't have um, insurance or whatever, if it's a life, if it's life threatening, they take those people anyway. And that's been a burden on our, on our healthcare system. However, that's the country we live in. And that also has to do with the, with the medical training, going back to the Hippocratic oath that says that you will treat every patient. I don't even remember what, how, what the oath goes, but it's it, it basically, it's not going to allow you to decide that just because you don't like somebody's politics or you don't like the way they look, or you don't like their social standing, or you don't like their race, that you can just deny them healthcare. And here we have people arguing that we should do that. You know, hopefully we never come to this, but the idea that that it doesn't get called out and that it kind of gets celebrated, you know, 11.6 thousand likes. And that was back on December 21st uh, is, is madness. Now I understand the argument really is that the unvaccinated are more likely supposedly to take up beds in the hospitals. And then somebody gets in a bad car wreck and they come in and there's not a hospital bed to treat them. And so there's this growing anger that I believe is being fomented by the by the media by the news because there aren't real cases where this has actually happened it's just a theoretical idea that it could happen and we have had times where we are getting close to maxed out with beds in the past especially during the delta variant time but this has not actually happened and if it has happened 
and you think you've heard a news article, then I don't know that I would trust their journalism because journalism seems to be dead these days. And it's really unlikely that that's actually the cause of that person's death. You know, to, to actually determine cause and not just correlation is a really big deal. And, and, and the left loves to say that, and yet it's so true, and it really applies in this kind of situation. So here Cernovich says, contrary to popular belief, most people who seek medical treatment put themselves in there from choices like diabetes and heart disease from diet, smoking, drug overdose. If we are to be spared grace due to our choices, God help us all. So his point is that, again, uh, you know, just, I can't, it was if only a handful of years ago, we knew that the biggest epidemic in America is in the West, but especially in America is obesity. And one of the number one reasons why people have health problems is obesity. And actually a huge uh, uh, reason why uh, people have died from COVID, not that every single, COVID is dangerous. All kinds of people have died from it. But the majority in the CDC just came out and said, the head of the CDC just said it, I think today, 75% of all of those cases had at least four comorbidities of those who died, at least four comorbidities, and one of them was obesity. Obesity has been a major contributor to death of COVID patients, and yet we don't turn people away because they're obese and say, well, you know, you didn't eat right. You didn't, you didn't fix your diet. Or what about, like you said, smoking? What about if somebody's driving a car recklessly? What if it's a teenager? They're out there driving wild, 17-year-old, getting a wreck, and we say, oh, nope, we won't treat you because uh, it was your fault. I mean, if that's the way medical care is going to be, uh, I mean, I guess some people agree with that, but then they fail to understand how politics works and who decides what is in and what's out, it's, that's a scary place to be. Interesting, because um, here we've got the, the, the guy, Rex, what was his name? That Rex Chapman, who made that comment about, about hospitals. Uh, if you just do a little digging, and Cernovich did, go back to Sports Illustrated, July 28th, 2015. Here's the headline. After addiction and arrest, ex-UK star Rex Chapman trying to rebuild his life. Former Kentucky and NBA star Rex Chapman has struggled with an addiction to painkillers since his playing career ended after being arrested for theft. He's trying to rebuild his life. You know, again, a world without grace could be pretty scary. And, and usually you, you do. You end up cutting off the branch that you're sitting on. You celebrate the saw and say, yeah, we're going to get rid of those guys. And you saw, 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 and you discover that you've just cut off the branch that you're sitting on. So here's the CDC director. This was just today, just blew my mind. Says over 75% of COVID deaths were, with pe were people with at least four comorbidities and were unwell to begin with. I couldn't even believe she said it, but this is another indicator of the madness is the dissonance that now we've had, we've had the CDC come out, we've had Fauci, We've uh, talked about how Omicron is actually uh, uh, that a lot of the, the people in the hospital are in the hospital with Omicron, not because of it, which is a big difference. And yet the news keeps saying that the hospitals are full of people with Omicron, uh, but they won't differentiate, just as the CDC has already now said that we need to differentiate 
And yet the CDC is the one that's contributed to this problem. And so I don't think it's in their best interest to resolve this dissonance um, and, and to recognize uh, that, that like when a kid goes in, here it says, this is an article, for instance, Washington Post, about 800 kids have been admitted nearly every day this week with those in Ohio, Texas, Pennsylvania, and New York hit particularly hard by the juggernaut variant. And, but then you read the article and it, it, it says the vast majority of cases so far have been mild and look a lot like the common cold. Uh, and, 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 and it turns out that it's really not as bad. And then you have, you have this realization, like I said, even Dr. Fauci himself saying it, that the reality is that these kids that are supposedly clogging up the hospitals, and I just don't know what their motivation in, in this is, because for so long, they have pushed the narrative that COVID is going to destroy us all and kill us all, and we should all be scared and terrified. And it is dangerous. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that they have, they have not been willing to budge on any good news whatsoever, and they've been willing to fudge instead. And here's the Washington Examiner here quoting Fauci saying, they, the kids may go in for a broken leg, and then when they're in there, they get tested, and it turns out that they have COVID. And that's a differentiation he began to make that, that many people on the right have been saying for well over a year, really since early on when the pandemic began, we had this problem because hospitals are incentivized to have people coded with COVID. So when you come in, if you say you come in with a broken leg, and this was going on not just recently, it's been going on the whole time, and they test you and they, it turns out you have COVID, then they're going to give you the code for COVID and not for a broken leg. And then if you die, there's also incentive, and I can't remember how many, you know, up to $13,000 per death, that if the code on the death is uh, COVID, then they get that money. So if somebody comes in from a car wreck, and this has happened, they have a car wreck, come in, uh, they're, you know, lacerated liver, maybe they're dying, but in the process, they're tested for COVID, and it turns out they have COVID. Now, we all know that when they die, they died because they bled to death or whatever it was. But if the hospital and the hospital will code them as dying of COVID, then they count towards a COVID death and the hospital gets the money. See, there, there's this massive incentive uh, going on. And, and we created a monster. It's been going on for a couple of years. And now we've got Fauci admitting, hey, you know, all these kid hospitalizations, most of them are actually incidental. They went in because they fell off the trampoline they got for Christmas, broke their arm, dislocated their elbow or whatever. And when they're in there, they got tested for COVID and it turns out they had COVID. And then the news says, hey, our hospitals are full of kids with COVID. But there's all kinds of dissonance and madness, you know? So instead you've got the fear mongers who, who capitalize on Omicron because the cases are going up. And so you've got Chicago's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, and she says, well, we didn't want to get to this point, but given the situation we find ourselves in, we have no choice. Beginning January 3rd, you must show proof you are fully vaccinated to enter bars, restaurants, fitness centers, and entertainment, recreational venues where food and drink are served. Okay, so she's taking advantage of the recent surge and doing something that has not been proven to be constitutional, which is requiring people to take a vaccination that we don't have enough data. I don't care if the FDA approved it. We do not have enough data to prove that it is safe. 
people say, well, there's no evidence that it's not safe. That's not how it works. In, in, in the world of pharmaceuticals, they have to prove that it's safe, okay? You don't get to have a crime and a crime scene, you know, and, and neighbors saying, hey, you know, we saw these two guys leaving the house. And then the, the you know, the police say, well, there's, there's no evidence. And then, and then the, you know, maybe family says, well, did you, did you actually investigate? No, we didn't ev investigate, but there's no evidence. So that's what's happening here. There's, there's not an investigation and therefore there's no evidence. Uh, it, takes, it takes 10 years to actually get a vaccine from, from development to, to actually getting it out there approved and into the mainstream. They did this in less than a year. Now, an emergency plan, I don't even know if it's really been pulled off before, is a five-year plan. They did it in less than a year. There is not evidence. There's not data. Okay, other people say, well, you know, uh, it's normal. You know, we have other vaccinations you have to have. You, your kids have to have certain vaccinations. You know how easy it is to, to sign a waiver? You know how many people have been against the vaccinations for a long time, and right and left? And it's easy to sign a waiver and get out of it. And those kids go to school. So, uh, and there's never been a time, you can't tell me there's ever been a time where you've gone somewhere to a bar, to an airport, to a restaurant. I've traveled all over the United States <clears throat> and never once has anybody asked for my vaccination status. I mean, I'm told to believe that there are man other mandatory vaccinations for people. You know, you had to have all these other vaccinations and I'm like, nobody's ever, I've never been asked my vaccination status or, or a need to prove it, not even to get a passport, you know, so that I could travel in this country or even out of the country for that matter. There are certain countries you have to have certain vaccines, but that's a different story. And here's an article about uh, just moving on a little bit more dissonance here. Adolescent boys at higher risk of hospitalization from Pfizer vaccine than COVID. And it's a new, this isn't the Defender, according to a new preprint study, boys between the ages of 12 and 15 with no underlying medical conditions were four to six times more likely to be diagnosed with vaccine-related myocarditis than they were to be hospitalized with COVID. This was in September 2021. There have been so many studies that have been released on this very thing, not just in this country, but in Israel and other countries as well. And this is, again, more of the dissonance because there are all these studies that show this is a fact. And then yet, somehow we're told nothing to see here, everything's fine, and the FDA goes on ahead and approves the vaccines anyway for kids. But what we know, according to these studies, and I'm willing to be proven wrong, and I know that there are the fact checkers that will say you're wrong, but I never see anything but a circular argument that says, but the CDC and the FDA approved it and they said that it's okay. And yet you can even find some of this data in the CDC's website and the FDA. So what we're finding here is you've got kids, 12 to 15, especially in this case, he's talking, they're talking about boys even more likely uh, than girls. And it's probably, I don't know, maybe it's because their testosterone, I don't know, but they're the ones that are more likely to be injured by the vaccine. Most people don't even know you could get injured by the vaccine because the, the powers that be want to make it sound like it's so safe that nobody's ever been hurt by it ever before, but they're lying. Um, and what we're seeing is that, uh, you know, a 12 to 15 year old boy is so extremely unlikely 
that they can get COVID, but their chances of going to the hospital for COVID are, are just minuscule. But if you vaccinate them, even though most likely they'll be okay, they still have a way higher chance of being injured by the vaccine. So why would you take the risk if there's really no risk at all, leaving them unvaccinated, but to actually intervene in their body and bring an intervention that increases a, uh, and this is with no underlying medical conditions, they were four to six times more likely to be diagnosed with vaccine. So, so they have a four to six times more likely chance of getting injured by the vaccine with myocarditis than they do by not taking the vaccine. Now, a lot of people show no compassion for that um, because they don't want to hear it. But the families that have to deal with this with their children, and, and, and then the news will come on, they say, well, it's just my, myocarditis. Well, myocarditis, the heart inflammation is it's actually it's damage to your heart. And they say, well, it, it's not that bad. Well, it's bad enough that 95% of those kids were hospitalized because of it. And when you're, when you're hospitalized by it, it doesn't matter if you're 10, doesn't matter if you're 15, or if you're 43, or if you're a world-class athlete, for sure, you're not supposed to do anything uh, that's, that's any kind of, uh, you know, like rigorous sports, anything like that for six months, half of a year, because you are completely at risk of having a heart attack. It doesn't matter how healthy you were or anything like that. So this idea also that you can damage your heart and that, oh, you know, when it goes away, it goes away. Heart damage is heart damage and your heart will remember it forever. There's a certain percentage, I want to say it's 13% at least, that are, are likely to have, um, or 13% will have lifelong damage. Like eventually they'll have a heart attack or they'll have to be on medication the rest of their life or they'll have you know, other kind of major complications. As of June 4th, which I know this is about VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Ad Event Reporting System. So, and I would think it was developed in the 80s and it was for this reason that, you know, we've had, we've got a, a, a terrible history with vaccines. There have been all kinds of injuries and all kinds of things that have happened, which is why there are all these rules and regulations that now we're breaking because all of a sudden the pharmaceutical companies are so good and wonderful and loving and they would never do anything wrong to us. So we're throwing all these rules out. Whereas in the past, we've had just horror stories in, in, um, in our history with vaccines. And even though vaccines are an amazing invention, they're also something that can be extremely dangerous when they're not tested and proven. And so um, it can go both ways. And so there was the vaccine adverse event reporting system so that people could report their, their adverse reactions, injuries to the vaccine, and also medical workers also enter them. It's a very cumbersome process. If you are not a medical you know, individual, it doesn't matter either way. It's like an affidavit meaning you are legally liable. It's a crime to report something in the system if it's not true. There are several studies that I've read that say only 1% of reactions actually get reported. Some say 2%. So let's just say only 10%, which is really generous. But here it says, as of June 4th, the US government 
VAERS system had received more than 329,000 reports of adverse events after COVID vaccine. That's just this past June, June 4th. After that, it just exploded. So it has leapt galactically since then. But um, supposedly that number, that 329,000 uh, adverse events is only 1% of what actually has happened. But let's just say it's only 10%. Just think of the number, you know, that you're talking about really more likely well over a million. Okay, so uh, it says at this time, the vaccines were still, okay, I wrote this down. At this time, the vaccines were still under emergency youth use authorization, which gives the pharmaceutical companies 100% immunity from legal liability. Okay, as of June 4th, the US government vaccine of VAR system reported 5,888 deaths. That would be 5,888 deaths due to the COVID vaccine. Um, it's very difficult to get the pharmaceutical companies, the medical world to agree that a death is due to a vaccine. Uh, but again, remember this is, I'm being generous, this is only 10% of the reporting. Where's the other 90% of deaths? Another 5,884 people reported life-threatening reactions. 4,583 had reactions classified as permanent disabilities. And, you know, and I want to mention that with the VAERS reporting system, as soon as people started looking at it and there were reports, and it's not just reports, but we're talking even within the world of academia, where you've got academics who use this data immediately on the news they started coming out, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, the whole, you know, the, the, the usual suspects. And they all started saying how VAERS is so unreliable and it's so cumbersome and difficult. And probably the only reason why there's all these reports in there is because, you know, because people are mad about the COVID vaccine. And, and, and so they're just basically intimating that people have gone and, and, and faked these things but it's very cumbersome. And like I said, you would legally be held liable and you would actually have to have some real data to, to verify what you're saying. So they're lying. They're just straight up lying. It's, it's not the greatest system, but it certainly is not unreliable. Here, just more reports, you know, 800 plus people awaiting decisions for about vaccine injury compensation. Um, good luck because the vaccine companies are immune from any legal recourse. Here we've got another article it says number of deaths reported after COVID vaccines jumps by more than 2000 in one week, according to VAERS. This is uh, a report from the AP Associated Press, and it's about the VAERS system. And it's basically one of those facts check, fact checks that I was, I was mentioning where they say, oh, no, no. The VAERS system, it, it's, it, you can't trust it. These people, they're quoting all this stuff. But so it, to me, what I'm annoyed about is that every time there's data or there are graphs or there are charts or whatever it is, there's no clarity. All the news, they come out and they say, oh, no, but we can't trust any of that. That's all, that's all messed up. And, and it's so easy to manipulate uh, uh, statistics. And it is. 
But I think the people who are manipulating the statistics are the people who want us to think that the statistics have been manipulated by somebody else. <laughs> See what I mean? It's it's apples and oranges games. It's uh, uh, messing with the data. And then when they can't, then what they do is they just try to discredit everything. But they don't argue with facts. They just say, well, the CDC said, here's a, a you know, just one of many, many sad reports of deaths. This young lady here, 19 year old, she had to undergo a heart transplant surgery immediately after, I think it was after her second dose of Moderna. And, but she died. Um, here is a, I've got a list of injuries from Dr. Malone. And this is over 140, you know, sources about vaccine injuries. I'll try to remember to post this. He's got it on his website. If you go to this, this URL here, rwmalonemd.com backslash references. And it's just a list of references and it's over 140 of them. I'm just kind of scrolling through them. These are about adverse events, deaths, myocarditis, kids, the whole thing. Then there are other interesting things like this. See, numbers don't lie. You've got this interesting thing popping up in Indiana where an, an Indiana life insurance CEO is pointing out, uh, it's a fascinating article, pointing out all these inconsistencies that Deaths are up 40% among people ages 18 to 64. It's a really big deal for a life insurance company because now they've got to pay out all these policies. And he statistically, he shares how, you know, how every so, I can't remember, it's kind of like a hundred year storm that every once in a while there's, there might be a crazy surge. Um, but I can't remember what the percentage was, but the, that, that hundred year storm-esque surge of deaths in the world of life insurance is nothing compared to what they've seen in the past months. It, this is absolutely unprecedented. And people will say, oh, well, yeah, I, we get it because, of course, all these people died of COVID. Well, you read the article, you find out he is not talking about people that died of COVID. It says, just 8.9% of ICU beds are available at hospitals in the state, a low for the year, and lower than any at any time during the pandemic. And people will say, oh, well, that's because, of, that's because of COVID. No, go on and we'll keep reading. It says, but the majority of ICU beds are not taken up by COVID-19 patients. Just 37% are, while 54% of the ICU beds are being occupied by people with other illnesses or conditions. Another thing he says is, most of the claims for deaths being filed are not classified as COVID-19 deaths. What the data is showing to us is that the deaths that are being reported as COVID-19 deaths uh, greatly understate the actual death losses among working age people from the pandemic. It may not all be COVID on their death certificate, but deaths are up just huge, huge numbers. So we have this mystery. I'm not going to say what the cause is because I don't know, but we have this mystery that there are a lot more people dying and people in an age range that usually are not dying okay because people live longer and we're talking about an age range here from 18 to 64 years old and uh and for some reason we're seeing an increase we're also seeing this in hospitals where there's increased heart attacks uh, all kinds of 
other other variables and factors. We don't know exactly the cause. Some people are going to jump and say, well, that's because of vaccine injuries. <clears throat> it could be. It could be a combination also of people who were afraid to go in or did not go and get the kind of medical care they needed to during the pandemic because they were so afraid or because they couldn't. And now we're starting to see the repercussions because when you shut your society down in the name of health and safety, it turns out it just produces other health and safety issues. So that probably I'm betting is part of the part of it too. Instead of FDA's requested here, this is interesting. Um, the, the desire to cover up data again, like I was talking about earlier, the frustration you've got, um, Pfizer, who, you know, they're the ones that got the approved vaccine, decided that they will release their data in 75 years, their safety data, 75 years, like after we're all dead, then we'll get to know. Now that made a lot of people really suspicious. So this guy is the lawyer for a client, which is, I think, multiple people, probably some, some big stakeholders here took FDA to court because they're like, this is unacceptable. There's no transparency. And it turns out that the court ruled on their behalf. And, and uh, it says instead of the FDA, because the FDA was saying they're going to do 500, they're going to pay one person to do 500 pages per month, um, which the court ordered the FDA to produce Pfizer COVID data at a rate of 55,000 pages per month. So what they wanted to do was just pay one person to do 500 pages a month, which would take 75 years because they're too busy. Now, if, if you go look at the verticals for, for Pfizer and how extremely wealthy that company is, this is unconscionable to think that they couldn't have some data monkeys that could actually enter this information and get it out to the public. Let's see. I think there's another article here. Court orders FDA to comply with the FOIA and release information on Pfizer vaccine. The first batch of documents shows that over 1,200 people died of the vaccine within the first 90 days. Oh, looky there. You think you'll hear that later? Probably not. Back to Robert Malone. Uh, this is a great interview. Is Brett Weinstein. You can't get on YouTube because it was, it was banned. This is what... This is what basically got Robert Malone demonized way back, I think it was last summer, maybe, I can't remember when it was. And it was an excellent, excellent interview. I think you can still find it, just not on YouTube. And then immediately after that, Joe Rogan had him on an emergency podcast. He had Brett Weinstein on. But the deal is, who is YouTube to censor doctors and medical professionals who do have degrees and the ability to discuss these things. Ivermectin uh, was one of the things they were talking about at the time. Ivermectin and early treatment. <clears throat> and that was just a big talk is early treatment. Early treatment has been shunned in the medical community. How dare you talk about early, early treatment? But we know that when you go in with COVID to the hospital, it's already close to too late for the people who don't make it. So it's very, there, there's not much they can do. I mean, I have friends who are doctors even, and once people get to a certain point, there's not much that they can actually do for them. So the best thing, like any disease, is to actually have early treatment. But 
I don't think that Harvard or Johns Hopkins or the Mayo Clinic or any of them, even almost three years into the pandemic, still, I don't think any of them have an early treatment plan. The whole plan is just, we're going to rely on the vaccines, a vaccine that we came up with in, in, in less than a year. And again, people will say, I was going to say this earlier, they'll say, oh, the mRNA vaccine that, you know, that Dr. Malone didn't invent, um, that, that is an amazing technology and it's been around for a long time. Um, but that's a technology, it's a vehicle that delivers a vaccine. That's like saying, hey, you know, these, these syringes that we have, we invented them like, I mean, 100 years ago. And so any vaccine we put in it is safe. It doesn't make sense. It's a nonsense argument. Sure, the mRNA uh, technology, you can actually debate it as well, but let's just say, sure, it's, a, it's been around, it's been tested and proven. The question is the vaccine, not the technology, okay? Even though you can question the tech technology too. So anyway, uh, a big thing that got Weinstein in trouble and Malone was talking about ivermectin. Ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine was the one that was earlier the big debate back when Trump was in office, he mentioned it. And then of course, everybody hated it and said, we can't do that because Trump said it. But that was only to the benefit of these, these uh, pharmaceutical companies. I'm convinced they don't care that much about politics. They care about their, their pocketbook. But if they can use politics and they can use this, the, the, the cultural milieu and the, the you know, culture wars of the day, they will. And they will put up their little screen and they'll hide behind it. And the screen is Trump's an idiot. Stay away from hydroxychloroquine because it, it's not going to make any money for the, for the pharmaceutical companies. Okay. And, and, you know, you might go and fact check it now and say, oh my gosh, the, these are evil drugs. Well, hydroxychloroquine has been around for a really long time. It's extremely proven uh, in, in multiple areas, just not proven for COVID. Of course, who tested it for COVID? Do we have any double blind studies on COVID, the vaccine itself? No. Then why are we rejecting early treatment with proven drugs that Historically, this is what doctors have done all along. When something new comes along, they use their medical knowledge and they use other proven drugs to try to treat, treat and come up with a cocktail that will help treat something. But all of a sudden, doctors could not do that. They want to prescribe hydroxychloroquine. They prescribed it for so long for so many reasons, all of a sudden they weren't allowed to. They were told you can't. Uh, th there was actually a hydroxychloroquine plant in another country that was burned down just happened to burn probably wasn't on the news ever but just somehow it burned down around that time it was a global effort to make sure the hydroxychloroquine was shut down but ivermectin was later the one and ivermectin of course you get the uh, here it is uh, the fda posts this you're not a horse you're not a cow seriously y'all stop it and that's their post with um this lady with a horse and because ivermectin supposedly is a horse dewormer. Well, it is used for horse deworming. However, there's also an ivermectin for people and it's been around for a long time. It's been extremely effective for many, many purposes. Very, very safe, very cheap because it's out of patent. As a matter of fact, the, the, the doctor who modified it to, for human use actually got a Nobel Prize for it. And he too has been demonized, by the way. I can't remember his name, but you know we don't listen to that guy anymore um, because we, we want to believe that it's a horse dewormer, but 
I guess, you know, the next time my doctor prescribes amoxicillin to me, I'm going to say, no way my dog takes amoxicillin, right? Um, it, it's it's a, an absurd argument. Nobody was taking ivermectin for horses, nobody. And th that's not what was being prescribed, but they smeared it. And they also came up with these stories about how people had died or lost their sight, or lost their vision, and all these crazy things from ivermectin. So, I mean, I knew people that were even telling me it's dangerous and their doctor saying, no, it's not. Well, somebody, surprisingly, and I don't even know who the person is. It's like a journalist I never heard of. I actually did some journalism. This is a surprise because I don't know if you know, when you watch MSNBC or ABC or CNN, these people are not journalists. They're, they're editorialists, they're commentators, they're talk show hosts, but they don't go and check the facts. They rely on things that are given to them by people who also didn't check the facts. So they don't do journalism. They don't go and check sources and find out, is this true? So somebody went to the hospital in Oklahoma, I think it was in Oklahoma, and discovered that all those reports were actually false reports by a doctor who's not even working for them anymore and never was fully employed by them. So, you know, somebody picked up the story. I can't remember who, but it's one of those big names. One of those big names that everybody else then picks up the story from them and they just cycle it through and cycle it through and it does its damage. To this day, people have a very negative view of ivermectin but it turns out that they had to issue apologies. Even here, I've got a, a you know, article or at least a quote. I don't know if I got this off Twitter, but Rolling Stone issues update after COVID ivermectin article disputed by Oklahoma Hospital. And it's an article about how they actually had to issue, that's a nice, an update. It's a retraction. It's an admission that they were wrong. Here you've got MSNBC, Rachel Maddow, you know, I mean, you want to talk about, it's so hard to believe that people that you think you can trust um, are lying. And, and I know that might sound harsh. And I know that oftentimes when this happens, because over and over, uh, we've been told, no, that's, that's just a conspiracy theory. And then it turns out to be true. Or, you know, these guys are kooks and they're crazy. And then it turns out to be true. And then, you know, there's the backlash from, from the right against the left media. And the, the defense is, well, Rachel Maddow and these, these others, it what you know, they didn't know. It was not their fault. They didn't know. Well, she probably doesn't know. She probably believed everything she said, but she was adamant, constantly talking about ivermectin, posting about ivermectin. And here you can see, you know, some of her tweets where she's talking about uh, about it, but even on MSNBC, it says, you know, uh, or, or here, it says that as the MSNBC host, she still hasn't deleted her tweet, one of her tweets, where she's promoting this contested story. So you don't get a retraction from a lot of these people. You don't get any apologies. You don't get them coming out saying, you know, for all of the, all of the warnings that I had about the danger that this posed to people, because all this time, supposedly, She's saving people by warning them against this, but there's no apology for all the people that she might have damaged by with getting them to not take it. Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, uh, and other things like that, from my understanding, are not a silver bullet, but they are very likely to make a huge difference if you take them early on in COVID. Okay. If somebody's already far, far along, sure, 
hopefully they can get it, but it's not as likely to do the same job. The key is early intervention, you know, early treatment, long before anybody has to go to a hospital. What are we trying to avoid? Clogging our hospitals up. So now the argument is, well, hey, the vaccine will keep you from having to be hospitalized. So that's not what the FDA approved it for. But anyway, that's what the argument is now. Um, so our goal is to keep you from being hospitalized so that we have enough hospital beds for when somebody has to go in for an emergency C-section or for, you know, like a car wreck or a gunshot wound or something else like that. Self-inflicted or not. And so wouldn't it make sense that we would try to do early intervention and prevention so that we could accomplish the same goal and avoid filling our hospital beds up. So we don't know how many people have died due to a lack of early treatment, but if this ever really comes out, it could be quite a scandal. Um, now, on, on, you know, in terms of Rachel Maddow or other, you know, other news pundits like this, I understand, you know, the argument is, hey, they didn't know, you know, she didn't know she was reporting what she thought she knew to be true. I will just make this argument. These are people who are supposed to be journalists. And if they're, they're not journalists, they need to at least have real journalists working for them. So number one, they should be accountable and be honest because you're going to make a mistake. You retract it. You don't retract it in the, the dead of the night on the back page of, you know, of the newspaper. You, you get in front of everybody and you tell people, and that's how you keep credibility. You be honest when you make a mistake. But number two, they do it over and over and over again, which tells me that there's a competence issue. And it might not be hers or you know whoever these mainstream reporters are. Like I said, it's the journalists then that they're hiring and they're purposely hiring people who are not journalists. It's their job to find out. Yes, they'll be wrong sometimes, but the story should be, hey, we dug and we found things that we didn't think we'd find. Or, you know, we don't have the absolute answers, but it turns out what happened to that kind of journalism that had the angle or had the opposing viewpoint or had the undergirding story, or it turns out that, you know, we thought it was going to be this, but it's actually, there's some other, you know, racketeering issue going on, not about COVID, but just in general, what happened to journalism? So ivermectin, here's an Oxford University uh, it says Oxford University explores anti-parasitic drug ivermectin as COVID-19 treatment. This is from Reuters, June 22nd. So the same people that were investing tons of money, because Reuters is very connected with Pfizer um, in, in financially. And they're also the same one that, that do a lot of fact-checking for Pfizer. But these the same people out there that had so much interest in making sure that we all did not trust ivermectin have been doing studies to try to figure out how to take ivermectin and to reformulate it, which means that they actually think, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, but that means that they actually think that it does make a difference in COVID. But if they can reformulate it in such a way that it's unique and then patent it, then they can make a ridiculous amount on it. Because as of right now, my understanding is, is it would cost pennies, literally pennies for each dose of, of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. But they can't make no money. So um, that made me think of something else, but maybe I'll come back to it. 
here you got other issues um you know moving on from from issues like that what about early on here you've got the ex-cdc chief this is newsweek ex-cdc chief says he was threatened threatened yes threatened quote threatened for believing covid lab leak theory obviously not the cdc chief anymore but early on when this whole thing happened quickly the hypothesis arose that this virus came from the lab in wuhan and it was considered xenophobic i mean at first it was entertained then it was xenophobic and and racist and all of this stuff and for one year you were not allowed to say it you were not allowed to talk about it, even though most people understood this is the most likely thing. There have been real journalists that have done real studies. There's one by Matt Ridley, a book called Viral, incredible work. He, he's uh, written for The Economist uh, for a long time, a renowned guy. I highly recommend it. This has nothing to do with the vaccines. It just has to do with the origins. And the question is, why has there been so, so much effort to cover it up? The best hypothesis, it turns out, a year later is actually the Wuhan lab. Now, it's not proven because there are a lot of people blocking, so I don't know if we'll ever get to actually determine, but one of the best hypotheses is back on the table. But for a long time, it got you booted off Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and even booted out of the CDC and other, other major industries. So, you know, while, while things like China deleting COVID-19 data from earliest patients, you know, an American professor recovered the archived copy, but hey, that, that was no big deal, right? Or a leaked cable from Hillary Clinton privately warning France that Wuhan P4 lab may lead to bioweapon research. Eh, that, you know, that doesn't matter really. And then something that seems really unrelated, but calls, in my opinion, calls into question the whole attempt to really lower cases in the United States and really undermines the whole argument for vaccine mandates is the border surge. Something that most people, because they don't live close to the border like I do, and I still am not too close. If you haven't been to Texas, you don't realize how huge this place is. And if you haven't driven from like, say, Houston to the West, say, drive from here to San Diego, or, or from here to Phoenix, for that matter, but go double the distance, drive to LA. You'll, you'll, you'll kind of hug the border at different times and realize how vast the land is down here, how huge the border is. And we've had, um, since this new administration, an absolute open border policy. Anybody coming across, it comes through. We've had hundreds of thousands crossing our border uh, the, the, the drug cartels are making ridiculous amounts of money, getting extremely wealthy while kids are being exploited, people are being exploited. It's just a, a complete fiasco. But because I said that, apparently I'm xenophobic. Um, nonetheless, none of these people are being tested nor required to have any vaccinations whatsoever. And we knew, and, and, and we knew uh, last summer even, uh, or it was before the Delta surge, not the, De yes, the Delta surge, before the surge, there were warnings over and over from the border how bad COVID was on the border. And we were bringing hundreds of thousands and the Biden administration will fly these people to Florida and to other states. Like, so they don't just go in Texas. And then later there's this huge surge and you're like, well, that, that is not a surprise. You know, I mean, yes, that 
there was a legitimate surge in COVID with Delta, but we also have an open border. So this doesn't make sense to, to be allowing hundreds of thousands of people every month into your country who, who are, have COVID. Many of them came in, especially at one time, with COVID. We're sick with it, and we're just spreading it throughout the country. But if you're down in Mexico as an American citizen, you have to get a positive or a negative COVID test to come across the border, or, or from Canada, for that matter, or anywhere else. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, if you, wanna, if you want to have your policy on immigration, have your policy on immigration, but then you can't force Americans to take the vaccine when you clearly don't care about spreading the virus. Okay, now here are other things that might seem unrelated, but this goes into the, the fiasco of this whole thing. There's so many elements to this. In Breitbart, which you know, I suppose is right wing, whatever, they're, they're knocking, you know, it's not just the Democrats, the Republicans. And this to me is, is more concerning than some of the other stuff. It's an exclusive about a tool to enforce Orwellian rules. It's what they call it. 80 House Republicans help pass a bill to fund federal vaccination database. A federal vaccination database is necessary in order to have a federal vaccine passport. A federal vaccine passport, I believe, has nothing to do with health, has nothing to do with vaccines. Even if you are pro-vaccine, even if you're pro-vaccine mandates, I believe you should be anti-vaccine passport because a vaccine passport has nothing to do with that vaccine. It has everything to do with creating a digital identity um, and, and, and having that identity. Once that, once that identity is there, once that passport is there, there's a level of control over your life that you've given to the government that you'll never get back for multiple reasons. And I'll be talking about that, you know, in the near future. Here, there's, there's no justification for taking away individuals' freedom in the guise of public safety. Thomas Jefferson said that. I know, I know. Supposedly, he was a dumb old racist, but uh, he was a pretty smart guy and helped found our country. And I don't believe he was just a dumb old racist. I'm just, you know, kind of joking, but I, I love that quote. There's no justification for taking away individuals' freedom in the guise of public safety, because that's how it's always been done. Tyrants take away people's freedom if it exists under the guise of safety. We're going to protect you, and we're going to protect democracy. That's the other half of the equation that is historically what's said, right? So many more people are okay with losing their individual freedom today and saying, this isn't about freedom, this is about safety, you know? not understanding that once you give that freedom away, you will never get it back unless you, unless you fight for it. That's the only way freedoms were won in the first place in Western civilization. And if we give them away, that's how you'd have to get them back. So, I, you know, I'm going to point out just a few other things if you're sticking with me on this. You know, just these are things that are swirling in my mind. And each one of them, it's like a table of contents. Each, each one of them is just a world, a universe of things you could just dig into and debate all day long. But again, like I said, if you take this and you debate with the opposite side, you'll never convince the other side. 
it doesn't matter how much data you have, we've got to be able to see through. And I've got, let me see, I got this here. <laughs> that it's it's like the matrix, you know, got to be able to see actually through it or see it to really realize what's going on. And that's what I feel like is happening is that there's something way bigger and vaccine mandates, vaccine passports really hint at it, uh, at what's going on. And I think if we could see that, it would maybe change our perspective and cause us to stop colliding and fighting with one another over you know, these, these really important facts, but ones that I don't see us being able to really reconcile. So you take a look at what's, what's happening around the world, and this is just a small cross-section. I didn't take time to pull up too many. So many Western nations are, are really getting crazy. You know, Australia in the Northern Territories just locked everything down. The only reason if you're unvaccinated that you're allowed to leave is I think to go get food, um, but work is not a reason to leave home for the unvaccinated. And as far as I know, I don't think there's a time limit on that one. I'm not going to play that. Here you've got uh, Francis Macron. Uh, he's the French president, and he basically declared the unvaccinated unvac people not even citizens. Um, there is some seriously disturbing rhetoric coming from leaders, including our own leader in this country, in demonizing, um, in demonizing people who are unvaccinated. And it's scary how many people are okay with it. But uh, yeah, he basically, let's see, what is it, what does it say here? I'm not about pissing off the French people, but as for the non-vaccinated, I really want to piss them off. And we will continue to do this to the end. This is the strategy. In a de democracy, the worst enemies are lies and stupidity. We are putting pressure on the unvaccinated by limiting as much as possible their access to activities and social life. Oh boy. So as a matter of fact, my understanding is that they have, I don't know if they've passed it yet, but they have something going through parliament that, that will massively restrict. I mean, you're talking about, these are, these are restrictions that, that are not just temporary lockdowns. These are vaccine mandates that are being pushed into place that are, that are permanent. Uh, we've got Justin Trudeau here. I'm going to put it on mute and I'm just going to play this and read because I know you might not be watching, but read the, because uh, he's speaking in French, but there are captions and I'm just going to read what he says here in this, in this interview. This is, he's the prime minister of Canada. And he says, yes, we will get out of this pandemic. We all know people who are a little bit hesitant. We will continue to try to convince them, but there are also people who are fiercely against vaccination. They are extremists who don't believe in science. They're often misogynists, also often racists. It's a small group that muscles in, and we have to make a choice in terms of leaders, in terms of the country. Do we tolerate these people? Or do we say, hey, most of the Quebecese people, 80% are vaccinated. We want to come back to things we like doing. It's not those people, the vaccinated, who are blocking us. So that um, is pretty terrifying to have a, the prime minister saying, and, and you know, he called them 
misogynists and racists. I mean, what is that about? Here is a tweet from Election Wizard Breaking. Philippines President Duterte ordered authorities to arrest unvaccinated people if they go outdoors. Oh, that's that's consoling. That's good. Lots of freedom going on here. Uh, Reuters, this was, was extremely disturbing to me. I knew that Austria was going to go on a lockdown back in December, and then they were planning on lifting the lockdown but keeping it longer for uh, those that were unvaccinated. But... I guess they decided that they were going to go on ahead and vote on um, passing something so that now it's not just you're going to be locked. So before I thought, this is tyranny. Wow, you know, you're going to be locked down in your home unless you get vaccinated. And they say, no, 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 you're free. You're free. You can, you know, you can just choose to live in your house. You basically can't work. You don't have a livelihood anymore. You don't have a life anymore. But no, they took it one step further. And this is the first country I know of that's done this. Um, where they plan to fine vaccine holdouts. So even if you don't leave your house, you will be fined up to 3,600 euros a quarter, meaning every three months. And that's basically, that's a little over $4,000 US dollars. So that would mean if you want to go for a year unvaccinated in Austria, and that means still stay in your house, you're going to pay about 16,000 US dollars or you go to jail. And they say it will apply to people 14 and over. That should terrify everyone. And if you find yourself justifying it because you're so convinced that the vaccines are, are um, you know, so amazing and perfect, and I think you just need to rethink things. But I re would encourage you to listen to some of my future episodes because I'm not going to be talking about vaccine, but I, the vaccines, but I will be talking about some of the broader trends that are happening in the world that that actually inform the way that these things are being handled, portrayed, and communicated, uh, and and should cause alarm in all of us. So here you've got the French Parliament approves Macron's. This was January six. His Macron's vaccine pass to exclude an unvaccinated citizens from basic aspects of life. The bill will now proceed to the Senate. Here is in France, this was January 8th, in response to that bill. Uh, this is a lot of people, even though I, I have to admit, in France, Austria, Italy, uh, these Western nations in Europe, the majority of people are okay with these mandates. Uh, that's what's terrifying. But still, there are large, we're talking millions of people that will go out and protest. So still a lot of people. And uh, historically, you know, Western nations would defend the minority, but apparently if you're in the minority now, screw you. So here's, this is just some footage imagery of a protest in, in, uh, Marseille. This is in Amsterdam. Uh, you can just see the flood of people, just so, so many people, but there are also in, in here again, this is in Amsterdam flood of people but look at this I'm, I'm just gonna play this here this guy getting torn up by this dog i mean he's never gonna use that hand again i, I don't know if you've ever done schutzen with a with a uh, german shepherd that's terrifying now 
these are people who were in Amsterdam. They were not rioting. They were not breaking windows. They were not burning businesses down. They were just being, they were being told they need to disperse. Okay. But having German shepherd dogs out there, I can understand, Hey, you're not going to disperse. We're going to start to arrest you. I, I still don't agree, but I can understand that. But sicking dogs, this guy, um, I've done Schutzen before. It's a sport where the dog runs up and you have this big arm and they, they clamp down and they're trained to, to clamp down and not let go. Okay. Uh, that guy, I, I just can't imagine how he's ever going to do. He's going to, he's going to use that hand again. So that's terrifying. Anyway, that, that's tyranny. I guess I don't need to comment more. I, I could, but you know, here you got video after video of, of um, protests. These are peaceful protests. People say, oh, well, that, you know, they deserve that, you know, and these are the same people that defended the BLM riots that, that caused, you know, literally hundreds of millions. I think it was a couple billion dollar worth of damage that one summer. Businesses burned down, homes destroyed. I mean, especially businesses, people killed, police injured. That's not what's happening here at all. Uh, you, you see a lot of instances of this and in Australia where the police actually, I mean, they start hitting them with batons. They're not doing anything wrong. They start walking away and they start hitting them with batons. It's just kind of terrifying. Again, Thomas Jefferson said, there's no justification for taking away individuals' freedom in the guise of public safety. You know, back to seeing through it all. You know, can we see through it all? That's that's what my goal in in this uh, you know this series that I'm doing is. I thought I had another slide here. Here, so then the, what I'm going to move into, I'm going to get out of talking and ranting about COVID because I'm just tired of it. But um, I figured I'd just do one big fell wallop. You know, just threw up a bunch of slides and different things, and. And my point is that even though there's a lot to debate about, and, and I would have imagined we'd live in a society where we could have good, robust debate about it, we can't come into agreement. But I do think that there are other things we could look at that maybe we could get on the same page about. So I've read this book a couple of times, keep reading through it, and I'm going to do sort of like a breakdown from my perspective on the age of surveillance capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff kind of go in depth the way I did when I started off this podcast and was getting into critical race theory. And I'm just going to go in depth into some of the things that I've been reading. This isn't the only book, so I'm not going to go chapter by chapter, but I definitely am going to go in depth and start looking at some of the trends that I believe are really driving the narrative that, you know, is really just what we're seeing is cosmetic, but there's something far more systemic going on. And that's what I'm interested in. So I'd rather spend more time on that. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Have a good one. See you next time. Mm -hmm.